Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Metaphysical Podcast. You've probably heard of sea monsters, ghost ships, and dangerous and ferocious sea storms, but you might not have heard of all of them happening in the same place. No, it's not the Bermuda Triangle, but the Dragon's Triangle off the coast of Japan. We dived into the mysterious phenomena in the area like Kublai Khan's impossible failure. We looked into the strange disappearances, sunken ships, amazing legends, and war stories of the Dragon's Triangle. And with John Vivanco's remote viewing data, plus my investigative research, we've be, we'll be having some really interesting conversations about what's really going on there. So join John and me, Rob Counts, for another metaphysical show that's out of this world. Yeah, and if you're listening to the Metaphysical Podcast or you're watching us on a video platform, please leave us a five-star rating and review. It's going gonna, it's gonna to really help. It's going to help us reach a lot of people. Make sure you like and subscribe wherever you're listening and hit that bell so you know that we released one. Amen. So, yeah. How are you doing, John? Good. This is actually one of my favorites. Yeah. Hey, you guys at home. Uh, so I've got a little bit of a mic issue just uh, last couple of episodes. I'm, I'm in the process of getting it worked out, but you might hear a little popping here and there. So I apologize. But hopefully this, the stories we're bringing up are so interesting. You're not even hearing them. <laughs> yeah, we're about to get into the Devil's Triangle. So uh, without further ado, let's get yeah. into the crazy here. Yeah, yeah. So, so this you know, is like, wait, wait, yeah. this is, wait. So this is like, this is the area of like near the Philippine Sea, right? Yeah, Um. it's kind of like it goes down from Japan. They're different. Here we go. It goes, it goes down All from right. Japan past Taiwan over to the Philippines and then over near the Mariana Trench, uh, which is really interesting, and then back up to Japan. Now, of course, um, there's different maps of this thing, right? Where the where the anomalies are happening. Um, I think this map, though, is the most interesting because you see this like stretch of almost land that's very close to the water surface that's reaching out there. And then you've got the Mariana Trench over there. Right. We've got some. This is just a really interesting area and if okay we'll get into some of these stories of course but if this if this area is filled with strange phenomena i mean we're dealing with a, a cocktail of really weird circumstances we're near the deepest part of the entire world we've got potential land mass that reached above the sea before the great flood right so there could have been all kinds of um um, villages, cities that that were, were went under the water before the Great Flood that that were that were all there. Um, it's near, you know, uh, you know, Japan, China, Philippines, uh, tons of tectonic uh, movement in this area. Right. So it's just got this like a strange set of circumstances here. Right. Right. I, and this is like, okay, so this is one of the vile vortices as well, which I, what there are 12 of these guys. Um, so that I, who, like, who coined this, this was who did. Oh, it's, it's a great name. Right. The vile vortices. Um, so this is basically one of those areas on the planet that has some type of electromagnetic discharge, right? Like, like the Bermuda triangle. Right. 
Okay, so an area on the Earth's surface which have naturally occurring anomalies due to the planet's natural electromagnetic fields being stronger in these parts than anywhere else in the world. That's really, yeah, so that's 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 interesting. But, you know, <laughs> with all the stuff that I've <clears throat> been looking into with this, I don't know if, if, if just that accounts for the craziness that we've seen in this area. <clears throat> Well, what are what are some examples of crazy stuff we've seen without getting into details, John? Um, well, there seem to be ancient civilizations connected to it, believe it or not. And, you know, when you get to the Bermuda Triangle, <clears throat> people do talk about, well, there's a gigantic pyramid under water. I, um, I keep hearing that, too. I wish we could get some pictures of this thing. You know, because you find with these vile vortices that <clears throat> there there was <clears throat> sometimes, excuse me, there was some type of connection uh, to ancient civilizations. I'm not saying that they have to do with ancient civilizations, but but you do have that construct show up uh, quite a bit with the vile vortices, which I always find really fascinating. And then you brought up a really good point earlier was that, well, the, the sea levels pre-12,000 pre years ago they would have been at least 400 feet lower and that would have made a lot of land exposed in that area, a lot of land and ancient civilizations. I mean, you know, they're, they're gonna, they're because most, most civilizations built up against water. So, you know, you're going to find that, that, that they're going to be in these locations. So it's kind of a curious thing to me. And I, it makes me, it makes me wonder, about some of the aspects of the vile, vile vortices, but I don't understand why they're calling them vile. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, leave it to a human to see some things or some phenomena that it can't understand going on and to immediately think negative, right? I mean, there could be as many interesting positive things happening over there as there are negative just because of yeah. the energy. But the ones that we're going to remember certainly are going to be the ones where we've got disasters and people are dying. Right. I mean, it's right. The human life getting taken away is, is no small thing, but I do think it's really interesting. So you're telling me that, that when you were viewing some of this stuff, you're seeing ancient civilization stuff in this area, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, that's so interesting that from that map, we were able to assert, like basically take from that map that definitely 400, if the, if the sea levels had risen 400 feet, there were probably a lot of ancient civilization stuff going on in this area. And who knows what kind of scars the land has. I mean, this is a yeah. classic sort of reminds me a little bit of the Bridgewater triangle a little bit when we were doing some, some stuff on that, just because the land has so much memory over there, you know? Right. You know, and, and it's not so, you know, it's a triangle makes it easy to define. But, you know, when you get to the like the South China Sea and you can see that the rays of land and the topology topography there, you're going to find that like 400 feet. I mean, that would have decimated like tons, tons of tons of land, tons of houses, tons of building structures. It would have just completely wiped them out. Then it looks like you've got coming down from Tokyo, like the Izu Islands. I think they're called the Izu Islands. That would have been way more exposed as well. So, so think about like all of the ancient, ancient civilizations that were buried by this water coming up. And yeah, pull that map up again, Lindsay. 
Yeah, I mean, we're talking about potentially Japan and China even connecting. Yeah, that. exactly. Yeah, and exactly. and there being no no water between South Korea and China. Right, right. Conceivably, yeah, that that it could have been that way. I mean, just imagine what would happen if the if the water went up 400 feet now. I mean, we're like, right. imagine what would happen on the coast of America if if the water went up 400 feet. We'd lose tons of major cities. It's over. Well, I know, and you know that's one of the huge that's one of the huge contention points actually for you know people who believe that there was an ancient civilization pre 12,000 years ago. Um, the the detractors from that say, well, there's no evidence of it, or well, there is, but um, it's refused to, they refuse to look at a lot of it. But the reason why there is not a lot of evidence of it is because the ocean just scours it away and, and deposits more on top of it. And, and what do cultures do except put most of their civilization next to the ocean, next to the huge body of water? So why would you not? It's like, like right. endless food, right? Like endless fishing and, and like, commerce you can travel i mean there's so many reasons to build a city near the not to mention it's just beautiful and it feels better right i mean the health benefits alone even i mean being by the sea it's just different like for people that grew up by the mountains and think that the mountains are better than the ocean you hear this argument kind of going on in the united states i'm just like I don't, I don't, I can't understand it because I grew up next to the ocean and I'm like, yeah, me too. Yeah. There's no replacement for listening to the water like late at night and just going down there and it calms you down. Something about it. I, I don't know what it is. It's like an ancient, I don't know, ancestral feeling that you have in yourself, you know? Yeah. Uh, but you know, what's, it's, what's interesting is this, this triangle is, also called the Pacific Bermuda Triangle, denoting its position roughly being opposite to the Bermuda Triangle. And I found this really interesting. Lindsay and I were talking about this um, before. Now, okay, so roughly opposite to the Bermuda Triangle along the latitude, just to clarify. But what Lindsay and I were talking about was, it's also called the Formosa Triangle, um, basically after the European name for Taiwan, which was Formosa, which means beautiful. So, you know, where Taiwan is, is right near that triangle. It's called Formosa in, in Europe. Taiwan's antipode is the Argentinian province of Formosa, named for the Spanish word for beautiful. Like, how does that, how's that That's even mind boggling? That is like really weird. That those That's two really opposite weird. places would be so beautiful, they would be called the same thing. That's very strange. That's very strange. That's even stranger than the Dragon's Triangle, dude. Yeah. Huh. I don't. I don't even know. How, I don't even know what that means. That's really I mean, interesting. You know, you do find like like when you look at uh, some of the Hopi Indian rituals and some of the or dances and the way they dressed and wore their hair looks almost exactly you can mistake them for a tibetan doing the same exact things like like there's so much there's so many things across our globe <clears throat> that seem to be transferred from one culture on the other side of the world to the other side of the world to the antipode and it's 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 not something that 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 people actually think could possibly happen because 
we're, we're led to believe that civilizations grew up way apart from each other, you know, yet here they are like doing some of the same exact things and dressing the same way and having the same types of ceremonies. <clears throat> so I don't think the past is what we think it is. I agree. And, and who knows how close everyone was in the past too. Yeah. You know, how, how yeah. could, how could we have all of these human cultures that are so similar and so far apart? Just like you were right. saying, it's, re yeah. it's bizarre. Okay. So, um, the the Yana, Yanaguni monument. You mentioned something about this before, right? Yeah, the Yanaguni monument. That uh, it's actually near Taiwan. It's it's one of the it's like one of the westernmost inhabited islands of Japan. Look, at um, that. and this this thing lies under only eighty five feet of water. Okay, so think about <clears throat> think about how the, uh, how far above sea level this was you know, 12,000 years ago before if, if, if the ocean levels rose 400 feet. Right. <clears throat> so this thing was found in um, 1985 by a local dive tour operator who went on a dive. He's, you know, swimming around. He's actually uh, looking for areas to uh, find good hammerhead shark habitat because that's like the big tourist industry there is that people will go to dive with hammerhead sharks. So as he was just, he was, yeah, I know, right? So as he's swimming around in this area, he starts to notice the regular shapes that look cut out of stone uh, in the rock there. <clears throat> and he surveyed the whole thing and noticed that he's like, there's a star-shaped platform on it. There are pillars. It's got this overall pyramidal tapered shape, like like the um, some of the old uh, uh, South American or Mexican um in Central American um, pyramids, step pyramids. So it looks a lot like that. And we did a project on that. You know, we did a project on that. We had to. It's like one of those things, like, what is this? Whether it was natural or man-made at base. And, when, you and say, when you say you had to, do you mean like you guys uh, tasked yourself because you're just so interested in it? Or did somebody actually task you on this? No, we, we did it to ourselves. We had to. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so this is like, this place is really fascinating because, you know, people are pretty split on it being natural or artificial. I mean, some, some geologists are like, no, this, this is, this is artificial. And some are like, no, this is just, you know, baffled. This is just like, this is the way the lava laid itself down. So, um, but no, it's, it's absolutely not a natural formation. This, this was cut out of a formation that was already there. Um, and this civilization, what they did was they, they cut various areas of it out to turn aspects of it into sacred geometrical shapes <clears throat> and they, they cut into it as well. So they would go inside of it. And basically what we saw was that this, this place was part of an ancient complex where, for instance, astral travel was used or taught was used and taught. It was like a mystery school type of location because it had immense amount of energy flow through the area that was natural based. Right. Oh, and so man. here it is like literally sitting on the edge of the, what we call the devil's triangle. And they probably called it something completely different because they're using it for positive purposes. While we just think of these things as being horrible and damaging and unnatural, 
this this location was so full of electromagnetic energy that it would it would literally help a person propel themselves out of their body. So this type of stuff was taught there because it was more it was more of an open culture for it was more spiritual based culture. Let's just call it that. And and so so this this location literally was built to take advantage of the phenomena that occurs in the devil's triangle. <clears throat> How so, could anyone think that was anything other than man-made? Yeah. Lindsay, can you pull up images of that again? Like I've never seen anything natural with, with surface area that looked like this. I mean, we're, we're talking right. about very flat areas, very geometric, shaped areas under 85 feet you said under the water like this Only is 85 feet yeah you're telling me an actual scientist with a straight face tried to claim that this right here is natural like that that is like what we're looking at right now is natural it's 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 absolutely 100% not natural. It's not natural. There's nothing about like I can see right. some rocks in there. Like okay, to your point, they found the rock, they carved the rock. Right. Right? Humans carved the rock. But that was not natural. There was nothing natural about that. Nothing natural. No. So, you know, uh, the geologist Robert Shock He's uh, he he studied the Sphinx and and came to the conclusion that the Sphinx had um, at one point a tropical like climate on it because of all of the uh, erosion that occurred. Right? The water, and so yeah, right, water, water erosion. <clears throat> so he studied this as well, and he came to the conclusion that it was a naturally formed feature, and. That is where other geologists and the mainstream stop. Okay. So he, so they use him. They say, well, Robert Schock even came to the conclusion that um, this was a naturally formed feature. They don't mention what he went on to say. And what he went on to say was that we should also consider the possibility that the Yonaguni monument is fundamentally a naturally struck, natural structure that was <clears throat> utilized, enhanced, and modified by humans in ancient times. Okay, so that's what he went on to say, but they leave that part out. And he's a he's a good geologist. This guy's this guy's top notch as as far as geologists are concerned. And what he said is exactly what we found. Exactly what we found. But they will discount it all because the idea that you know Clovis people twelve thousand years ago they couldn't do this stuff. They could not do any of this type of stuff. So no, none of this stuff exists. And anything well, that we do see that looks artificial. It's just a trick of the eyes, pareidolia. Well, know? and I mean, we're talking about like the location of this, the idea that the ocean <laughs> was lower, and you're talking about this pyramid potentially being built by an Asian type culture. That's all I can think of because why would the Japanese be where they are in this civilization if not? I right. mean, some type of Chinese, Asian, something like that, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. And and they were they were taking advantage of the of the natural telluric energetic currents that are flowing through that area. I mean, look at the faults that you have under the surface of the ocean. There, these fault lines, like where that is, would be sitting right on the edge of a, basically a rift 
uh, in the Earth's uh, um, um, crust where you've got plates moving together. And so but this is creating a lot of friction, a lot of energy. And on this, they knew John, on this map, where is the Yonaguni Monument? Can you like so look at the top of Taipei, the top of Taipei in Taiwan? Okay, do you see Taiwan? Yes. So yes. look at Taipei. Now just go to the right, uh -huh. right? Just first island to the right from Taipei. You see that island? Yes, the small right? one. Yeah, small one. It's very small. Very small. So along that stretch, these chain of islands, there are other structures. There are other structures that are buried under the water there. And this, there was a civilization that existed right on the edge of the Dragon's Triangle. There must have been tons of civilizations going up and down that stretch. Absolutely right? were. Yeah, absolutely were. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy, oh, isn't it? I mean, this stuff totally. is under our oceans. Yeah. It like, just makes me want to become an explorer and find crap, you know? <laughs> yeah, what, like, what is under there? I know. <laughs> okay, so um, obviously, the, we, there's. I would love to just keep talking about this, but there's so much other stuff to talk about regarding the, the Dragon's Triangle here. We're talking about some phenomena and stories right now that have taken place, and we've got Kublai Khan, which was Genghis Khan's grandson. He had a failed takeover. Now, um, Kublai Khan actually did try to make inroads into conquering Japan in 1274 and 1281 AD. He failed on both attempts to invade, losing 900 vessels and 40,000 soldiers to typhoons in this triangular area. I mean, I guess there was just a mandate from above that he was not allowed to take over this, this area. But his fleet left from mainland China and was supposed to meet a southern fleet of 100,000 troops to overwhelm Japanese defenders. However, Kublai Khan's forces fought to a stalemate after 50 days. The Japanese repelled the invaders when Khan's forces retreated and many soldiers deserted. Now, the Japanese believed the gods sent the kamikaze or divine winds to save them from the enemies, which is why they used kamikaze in the future these divine winds you know when we we're talking about the uh airplane um the kamikaze pilots in uh in was that world war two yeah II. the divers and marine archaeologists later found the mongol fleets proving the story was true so they found those now had khan's forces succeeded japan may have been a very different place today now I'm not sure if you've, I think I've mentioned this to you before, but there is one really story worth mentioning here, which is about one of the samurai that held back the entire Mongol fleet nearly himself. His name's Kono Michiari. If you guys haven't looked into this, dude, I highly recommend it. He's like a star over there and for good reason. So when the Mongols, one of these trips into to, for them to take over, when they showed up on the doorstep of Japan, you know, we're talking about the Mongols, like they had like gunpowder and stuff, right? These guys were were rocking and rolling. They had conquered every land they came across. They they come to Japan. They're a gigantic armada sitting on the footstep of Japan. And this guy, Kono Michiari, comes a day late. He's so upset that he's a day late and he missed the first day of action, right? 
he sets his entire camp up with a few of his warriors and he just staring at the Mongol ships. Right. And there he's within like firing range. Like they can actually hit him. He doesn't even care just despite them. He's standing on the coast looking at, at the armada. So he, everyone, all of the other Japanese basically go and hide. They're like, they're not, I'm not saying they're, they're weak or they were being cowards, but more like strategically, they were trying to find a way to not be within arrow shot and or gunshot of the Mongols. Kono Michiari takes a couple of small boats out onto the sea. He looks for the Mongol ship that is the biggest and the most ornate, meaning whoever is in charge is going to be on that ship, right? He travels with these two ships straight up to this ship. And now the Mongols are just like, well, there's one of two things going on, right? Either he's going to like he's going on behalf of Japan to negotiate with them or to surrender. There's only two things because it's the Mongol ship. There's like 900 ships in the sea, right? He, he instead he cuts off his mast on a ship. The mast falls onto the larger Mongol ship and he runs up the mast, jumps onto the ship and just starts destroying everyone and he and this little group of samurai basically caused so much havoc on these ships that the that the mongols couldn't even move forward like he alone just went out there and just destroyed everyone i mean who knows how many like limbs that guy cut off while he was like wielding his sword around in that small confined area and we're talking about dude we're talking about mongols like these guys were like a foot taller than this dude at least he was he was known to be a sh- a smaller stature guy, so it's like the Wolverine just going up to a bear and just completely right. destroying, you know. Right. Well, the Japanese. I mean, <laughs> the warrior ethic. I mean, <laughs> it's great. It's, it's just intense. It is. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, I have know, to watch me some Akira Kurosawa movies after this. Yeah, for real. Actually, what's so great about it is it's this and. It's what we love about the Spartans too. This right. idea that death is welcome and the warrior spirit is what you're actually looking for. Finding right. a match, someone that can match you in battle and that, you know, if not, you're going to defend your homeland. You guys came to my doorstep. It's time to use all of the skills that I've I've cultivated my entire life, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's like, I mean, the way people fought, I mean today we just shoot we use guns for the most part but it's like i watch some of these shows and i'm like how for hours can these guys go and go and go just like using their hands and swords to just kill and kill and kill it's just it, this is why i love un- the martial unbelievable arts. yeah the martial arts all the martial arts whatever yeah. it is whether you're talking about greco-roman wrestling you're talking about samurai swordsmanship yeah. the chinese martial arts they make men out of people. Right. right? It's like <laughs> discipline and it's like hardcore. Like, have you ever watched it, some of these monks that are off in the, you know, like in China? Oh, gosh. Some of the monks that are out there, their training is so hard that if they get into a ring with a normal guy, like you could beat on them for hours right. and nothing happens. Like, right. Right. It's I crazy. I know. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Today, those are super soldiers, right? It's like, yeah. but everybody back then was probably a super soldier. Well, and never mind the idea, you know, I mean, well, and also we're talking about an art form 
like a cultivated yeah. art form that's turning from just normal training into something that goes beyond. Because when you when you start talking about guys like uh, Zhang Sanfeng in China who created Tai Chi, these were forms that some have used for a martial art, but and fi like fighting kind of right. But it's like the energy that he was cultivating and what he was doing was like out of this world. I think I've told you this before, like people couldn't get within like a hundred yards of this guy while he was doing Tai Chi because his energy was so strong. No one could approach him and they could right. see him holding a wheel or something while he was moving. I mean, now it's up to you whether you want to believe that's true or not, but the stories from ancient China talk about this, which is yeah. just totally crazy, you know? And um, so, yeah, we've got all kinds of crazy things happening in the, in the dragon's triangle. Um, in the early 1800s, a vessel that looked like a traditional Japanese incense holder was spotted sailing in the Devil's Sea. Yeah, that was the Itsurobuni. Itsurobuni, I think. Okay, so um, it sailed by a mysterious lady, in fact. <laughs> Right. The destination and identity of the vessel still remain unknown, but it dodged Japanese sailors for years. The um, um, the girl was like white. I think she was white, like a white, like Western, like like Caucasian, <clears throat> or yeah, she was like Caucasian looking and had red hair. So maybe Nordic or something like that. I mean, it could have been Viking. You never know. They're really good seamen. Um, uh, Lindsay, can you pull up a photo of what a Japanese, a traditional Japanese incense holder looks like? Or, you know, if, here, let me find it, actually. Maybe I'd like to that. see that because... Here, I'll I, get it for you. Kaipen Utsuro Buni. U-T-S-U-R-O. New word, B-U-N-E. Interesting. And that's the name of the ship, right? John, yeah, yeah, that's what they that's I believe that's what they named it. Lindsay and there. so I'm seeing a bunch of illustrations. Oh. Well, go ahead, pull those up. Mm -hmm. Let's look at yeah. it. Up. Yeah, that's it. This is from the old stories. The um, wow, look at that. that looks almost like it's like a UFO. Yeah, it looks like a UFO. Yeah. Yeah, so so it was like 1803 when some fishermen saw this floating around. So they went out and they dragged it into shore. And the thing was like 11 feet high and 18 feet wide. Um, you know, and they, they describe it as being made out of rosewood with beeswax stuffed in the corners and stuff like that. But, you know, they're, they're obviously probably not necessarily that. <laughs> uh, they're just trying to make sense of the materials that they're running across. Because we this saw something metal. weird with it when we remote viewed it. Oh, what? Did, okay. All right. Now you got me. So <laughs> what, what did you guys see when you remote viewed this? Well, the story, though. Okay. So the story is that they, they dragged it to the shore. And in, there was a woman inside of it. She had long red hair. She was about five feet tall. She was white. 
you know, Western pale complexion, Westerner uh, is what she appeared to be. And she was holding this box. She wouldn't let anyone near the box. So they didn't know what was in it. And they couldn't speak her language and she couldn't speak theirs. So, you know, they were cordial with each other, but eventually they put her back in the boat or she got back in the boat and they dragged it back out to sea. And so this story um, is, is pretty well known throughout Japan. And I think it might've happened a couple of times. So this is one of those like remote viewing projects where you just go, wait, what? Yeah. How do you <laughs> ask for that? Like well, I mean, you know, it's, it's basically just looking at, um, what this means, what it is, because this could be some like um, idea of, of of culture dealing with foreigners. It could be an event where um, somebody from a western west from western lands, a girl, five foot tall girl, somehow got on a boat, made herself a little capsule boat. It's all very strange because you know I don't know if this is a normal style of boat, <laughs> not really. It's almost like half submarine. Um, so our data around this is always really weird because one of the big prominent things that we get, and when we when we look at things with remote viewing, we use multiple remote viewers, and and what we do is we take we take um, corroborative data from each viewer, data that corroborates, and we build our picture. We begin to build our picture that way. One of the most prominent things that shows up in the data are really two things. Number one is that there's a huge amount of electrical discharge, huge amount of electrical discharge from around. The, what's that from her ship or from the area? It's got to do with her ship and the area. So, so we've got this electrical discharge happening and there's an interaction with the ship and electrical discharge. The other thing that we have is a very complicated map. This map is not a map of coastlines, but rather of points that it goes through within dimensional constructs. Like, I'm just talking about the data. Like, I'm literally just telling you the data. I'm reporting on the data. So, so those two things, if I'm to surmise what this thing is, is that it's utilizing and somebody knows of a, a map of dimensional constructs and areas that have high electrical discharge and static electricity, and they move through these locations. So what I would say is this was, this was as stupid as it sounds, some kind of like, like, like dimensional time traveling device from somewhere else. This is what our data is talking about and, and literally shows up there in Japan, I think a couple of different times because different areas have a similar story. Now, this particular one was just above Tokyo, I think in the Hitachi province. And that's like part of the devil's triangle. And so, you know, here you go. It's like another weird thing. That's why I said at the beginning, it's like, this place is weird. This There's is a lot awesome. of weird happenings around it. What the heck, man? I did not expect this these no, i was like I oh yeah <laughs> i was like oh, let's do some episodes on the dragon triangle it's another triangle i did not expect it to be this weird yeah it's weird it's just it's plum weird <laughs> so okay the question i have now though is what stories do the japanese have about this particular ship do they 
think or know that it was what you just said or or do they no, just... I've never I've never heard anybody correlate it to this the correlations come from professors who talk about well this is a a cultural story to to show how Japanese were dealt with and were afraid of foreigners but you know I mean that's that's the best they can really come up with this is um, what this is no, why I hope in the future academia just doesn't exist <laughs> like that's the conclusion they came to Right. Well, I mean, the other thing is that um, the people who who saw her and interacted with her, they started to surmise that she was a princess that I don't know. They came up with a story. Obviously, they couldn't understand what she was saying, but they came up with a story that she was a princess that escaped from a far off land because um, her father didn't want her to marry this guy. And she had um, his head in a box and that's why she's clutching it so tightly. She, so she had his head in a box uh, because her father cut his head off and she's, you know, like abandoning her father or she was exiled or something. So that was their story. But then oddly enough, you know, like they can't talk to her. So they drag her back out to sea. <laughs> okay. No, 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 no. Well, I mean, she, you know, who knows what happened in that interaction. Right. right. I mean, she could have been signaling like, I need to go back, right? I need to go out. And then they were like, okay, let's, it, it looks like she's saying this, let's help her go back out to sea, right? Because obviously she's one unarmed woman. They can tell she's, you know, not a threat. And they're like, let's get her back to wherever she's come from. Right, right. But 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 this, this incense-shaped uh, craft yes. appears throughout different areas throughout the Japanese history. Right. So what I'm talking about is one incident of it. And, and and when we view this, like I said, there's some type of electromagnetic burst. The thing appears is moving around, interacting for a while. Electromagnetic burst. It goes somewhere else and it's following a map, like literally following a map <clears throat> of these locations that are around that area um, that traverse through different times and different dimensions, which look, this is a theme that we find, you know, with the Bermuda triangle, you know, we find this with portals, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't know, man, take, take it or leave it. Yeah. It's a weird one. Really weird, really interesting. And it just makes the area even more, the whole area, even more fascinating. I mean, if you, if you put that story that you just told me, this the story of Chin Shi Huang that we told a few episodes ago, where he's meeting the Wanchu citizens, and they have the technology of a space. Uh, gosh, I don't even know what to call it—a craft that is shaped like a conch that can travel ten thousand miles a day or fifteen thousand miles a day. I mean, they could get anywhere on the planet with that thing. interdimensional incense burner. Yeah, and then you've got an interdimensional incense burner. UFO, like a USO, an unidentified submerged object with a redheaded lady at the helm. Gosh, so many interesting things going on out there. And it's largely unexplored. This is why I'm so interested in this is like there's so many things in this area that if we could get our hands on, we'd probably have our minds blown. We have to keep coming back. Um, yeah, so disappearances, too, in this area, right? Um, you know, whenever you have stories or a triangle like this, you usually are, are, are coming across disappearances. But in the in the 1940s and 50s, multiple fishing vessels and over five military vessels disappeared. 
Uh, that sounds strangely similar to the Bermuda Triangle. Time, you know, time slips and all kinds of things that are going on over there. Uh, in 1952, Japan sent the research ship uh, Kayo Maru number five to investigate the previously missing vessels in the Dragon's Triangle. Excuse me if my Japanese my Japanese was off there. However, the the ship disappeared. So the the ship going to search for other ships disappeared. So the wreck was recovered later, but the 31 yeah, that's a common theme, isn't it? Yeah. The 31 crew that were on, like, so they found the ship. The 31 people on the cr crew were completely gone. They were never seen again. And the incident caused the area to be marked as dangerous for a marine voyaging and transporting goods. And the area remained quarantined to ship traffic for decades after. Some believe an underwater volcano exploded. The water became too hot. The ship lost buoyancy and it sank so suddenly that the crew had no chance to escape. Can that even happen? Is that a thing? We looked at that one. We looked at this one. What, what happened? Pumice happened. Pumice. Pumice. Pumice happened. From the volcano. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Literally, we got like rocks hitting the ship. Like literally. So this ship went down fast and it went down hard. So we we basically got that it was it was literally sitting on top of an exploding volcano under the water mm. and that was it and that was the same with the others um in that area i mean you have to think this is a very volatile region so i mean not everything is something when it comes to this <clears throat> um region because some of these are mundane explanations but um this was the incident that that literally caused the Japanese government to to say publicly this is this area is no good to go into. And that really set the stage for the rest of the like ideas around the weird happenings. Yeah. And coined it the name the Dragon's Triangle. Right. Probably. <laughs> right. Man, so um the Dragon's Triangle is located in the Sea of the Devil. That's what it's called, y'all. Um, it's also pronounced Ma no Umi in Japanese. Of course, I probably screwed that up, so I apologize. Um, <clears throat> we're going to have another episode. This is my favorite episode we've had in a while. We're going to have another episode on the Dragon Triangle coming up. We're going to be getting more into the science on some of these things and um, why, why things happen there. So if y'all um, like this episode, we've had other episodes about sinking uh, ships. Actually, one of our first episodes was the story behind 1899, that Netflix series, which unfortunately got canceled. It's actually a pretty good series. <laughs> but what really happened to the cursed Mary Celeste? You definitely check that out. Uh, that was one of our, I think that was our pilot episode. That was a good yeah. episode. And um, yeah, we're going to get into why things happen in the dry, uh, you know, uh, on the Dragon's Triangle and a bunch of other uh, stories from that area. So definitely stay tuned. And I hope you guys thought this was this show was as out of this world as we did. See you guys all in the next one.